Good morning. Does it sound to you like I'm on? Sounds to me like I'm on. Wow. Thank you, Melanie. My sister's back there supporting her brother. The only one that said yes, but she has such a unique voice. And her laugh, oh my goodness, you can hear it three blocks away. Tom, you got off scot-free this morning. I decided to start mocking my sister and not you. So... It's a rich day. Yeah, thanks, Mel, to be in the house of the Lord. How's everyone doing today? Enjoying the service this morning. God's gracious blessing upon us to summon us in his house by his grace in the name of Jesus Christ. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. This morning's message, uh, Tom's given me pretty... uh, a pretty loose leash this morning, pretty wide berth, we should say, and uh, I certainly need that wide berth as much as I can get it, enlarging my own territory by uh, eating all that American food. This morning's message will be called, Don't Follow Your Heart. Don't Follow Your Heart. Now, for some of you, that's been the mantra of your life, and that's been the, the key piece of advice that you've chosen to give all your friends and family. Just just follow your heart. Just follow the dictates of your heart. I'm here to tell you this morning that the Bible has a significantly more grim diagnosis of the human heart and just the, just the way in which we plunge ourselves into a world of angst and frustration and, and depression and anxiety when we try and follow the dictates of the fallen human heart. I don't know. Uh, I'm not too sure about you guys, but I remember years ago I heard this little phrase and I always kind of kept it with me. It was, a, it was a helpful little phrase. It was that... Uh, that person that's wrapped up in themselves makes a very small package indeed. Did you get it? I don't know whether, whether we're all awake yet. I don't know if I need to just kind of dance on my head for a little while or skip and juggle. I'm not too sure what it is, but I'm, I'm hoping as we think about this idea of the human heart, there is a wealth of encouragement that we all begin to feel because many times we've allowed our hearts to, to dictate ourselves and we get, we get locked into a mentality that is so self-centered and, and egocentric. We fail, to, we fail to recognize that there's a real, a real world out there and that God is calling us to follow the dictates of his word and not the dictates of our heart. Let me illustrate this briefly before we dive into the text. Only a few years ago, there was a survey conducted, a very thorough survey conducted in uh, the United States of America among parents and, and, and community members. And the survey was, do you believe that Arabic numerals should be taught in American schools? Almost 70% of people said, absolutely not. Now, the three of you know where this is going. The rest of you are like, that sounds, that sounds good. We're not, we're not Arabic. We're English speakers. We've been using Arabic numerals since the 12th century. One, two, three, four, as you know, are literally Arabic numerals. And this is the way in which we sometimes get, get sucked into the vacuum of our own perspective and our, our own self-indulgence. And we fail to recognize just how the world around us works and the grace and the gift of God's word works. We, we get contaminated in our thinking along a certain trajectory of thought and we can barely strengthen ourselves to, to come out of it. So our text this morning with regards to the human heart is 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. By this we know that we are of the truth and we reassure our hearts before him. Verse 20, which will be our key text this morning, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. We're going to do a bit of exegetical work on this text this morning and see what encouragement would be here for us. And the first thing I want to dial our focus in on is is whenever. 
when, when your heart condemns you. Not, not if, and I know some of the older English translations have the, have the word if, but in actual fact, when is a far better translation of this Greek word. Every one of us, at different times of our faith and our journey and our walk with God, have moments where our heart condemns us. Not if, but when. In fact, I would say this, if you have not had, since you started following Jesus and giving your life to the Lord and serving Him, if you have not had a period of doubt, a period of frustration, a period of questioning your faith, you might either be a super apostle or (laughs) you might actually be unsaved. You might actually be unsaved. 20 or so years, I've been in vocational ministry, preaching the gospel, pastoring churches, counseling believers, working with non-believers, evangelizing, all and sundry that's involved in gospel ministry. And the amount of times that people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with my faith. I, I'm struggling with my assurance. I feel like I'm, I'm not a believer. I don't have any confidence in myself. And my response is, that's great news. That's, that's really good. Now, you can imagine them fairly perplexed and confused. Why on earth would that be a, would that be a good thing? But the truth of the matter is that this, this struggle and this wrestle and this war between the flesh and the spirit which dwells within is a uniquely Christian experience. In fact, one could argue that that inner turmoil and that inner battle between flesh and spirit is so uniquely Christian that if you don't have it, you have no right to any assurance at all. So maybe here this morning you've never really thought this through or contemplated this in this light, but the reality is if you don't struggle at various seasons and times, you don't have those dark nights of the soul, it's possible that's because you don't have the Spirit of God dwelling within you and your flesh is running rampant without any any sense of conviction of the Holy Spirit. This is why the verse that we've targeted this morning encourages us that when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. It is a uniquely Christian experience. Galatians 5.17, let me read this verse. It says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. One thing you can know for sure, if you're here this morning, you're in church, maybe it took all of your energy to come to church or maybe for you, this is just kind of, this is just routine. This is rote habit. You just, Sunday mornings, you get up, you hit the alarm clock, you, you get dressed, you brush your teeth, you, you get to church and you just go through these motions. And this whole while you've been sitting there feeling like, like you're the imposter, like you don't belong, like everybody else is, is singing the songs and hand raised and voices loud and they're amening at the right time and they're laughing and clapping at the right time. Everybody else is, is engaged and you're suffering this sense of imposter syndrome. Maybe this is the first time you've been in church in a very long time and this whole morning you've been sitting there feeling like, do I actually belong here? Is, is this my people? Is, is this a safe place? Should I, should I be amongst these people? Do I, do I qualify to be in this place but the good news of the gospel is that while our hearts will at times condemn us will make us feel like the most reprehensible reprobate on planet earth God remains greater than our hearts I am actually concerned with the Christian who comes and says to me pastor 
I never stress about my assurance. I, I never have moments of doubt or conflict or inner turmoil. I, I, I never have anxiety about it. I just know that if God's going to save someone, it might as well just be me. I'm concerned about that type of Christian. I want to know that we all as Christians have moments where the Scripture speaks into our very real human experience that there are times when our hearts condemn us. Maybe you're not in one of those seasons this morning, but let me assure you, the way to enter one of those seasons is just keep breathing. Just continue living and you'll find at some point in the future, you enter into this gloomy phase where you are the least convinced person on planet earth that you're actually saved, sins are actually forgiven and Jesus has actually atoned for your guilt and shame. When our hearts condemn us, whenever it is a reality, it is a uniquely Christian battle and a uniquely Christian experience. In fact, it requires the very real and abiding presence of the Spirit and the flesh, and only a bona fide Christian can claim both. The Spirit of God is, is diffused and, and, and put into the hearts of those that are genuine Christians, and yet we already know, as we looked at this morning, Romans 7, Paul says, who will, who will deliver me from this body of death? I, I have this, this body of death in me, and I keep, I keep being driven toward doing things I don't want to do, and the things I, I want to do, I, I can't do. So in another sense, before when I said, if you never have this struggle, you might be a super apostle, I misspoke. Because the super apostle, the apostle Paul, had periods of his life where he literally went through this dark night of the soul. No one is exempt. No one has these moments where they don't doubt, they don't struggle, they don't wrestle. I am far more concerned with that Christian whose heart never condemns them. That Christian where there's no inner war, there's no battle between the sinful flesh and the spirit which dwells within. The reality is the devil has left those people alone because they are absolutely no threat to him. They already belong to him. The first part of our text this morning is whenever our hearts condemn us. My encouragement to you is don't follow the dictates of a fallen human heart. While, while we see in the, in the culture around us and the, and the constant secularism, which becomes the very air we breathe in the world around us, it's all about following your heart and just be led by your heart and let your emotions dictate and, and just follow the whims of your fancy. We see that that is a path to death. Scripture says the human heart is the most deceitful thing above all else. Who can understand it? It has no cure the scripture wants us to be perpetually engaged in acts of doubt toward not our faith, but the dictates of our heart. The next thing we see in our text here this morning is it says, whenever our hearts condemn us. It's an interesting part of the human experience to single out, don't you think? It's an interesting organ to, to pinpoint heart doubt it's a severe doubt. It's, it's an acute doubt. We, we all have those times in our Christian life where we're just not sure or we, we just don't quite feel like we're, we're up to it. We don't feel like we're, we're, we're following after the dictates of the Lord and the Word of God. And we, we have moments of doubt. That's true. But a heart doubt is a different species of doubt. It's a, it's a doubt that's actually resonant in the very core of our being. Let's take a look at the Scripture, how the heart is described and spoken of. Scripture says that the heart is the center and the seat, the core of our physical and spiritual being. 
Let me give you a few texts here if you want to try and have nimble fingers and search with me, but I'll just read these out rapid fire. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heart doubt, a doubt that settles in and takes up residence in the very core of your being. It's not like, it's not like head doubt, right? I don't know if this ever just happens to me. Maybe this happens to some of you. You could be at a coffee shop, just sitting there enjoying your afternoon. And next thing you know, your mind becomes possessed with this idea that, that when you're awake, that's all just a dream and, and, and a fantasy and a myth. And it's only when you're asleep that you're really awake, right? You ever had that? No one's ever had that, this existential crisis. It never happens to anyone else, just me, and I've just gone on record as admitting it, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a head doubt, right? And then as soon as you sip your coffee and you see your friend, it's gone. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, a, it's a whimsical, it's a superficial, it vanishes like mist in the air. But heart doubt's a different thing. And some of you know the, the deep-seated anguish that accompanies heart doubt, where it feels like, it feels like this, this inner skepticism has, has taken up residence in the very core of your being. You, you've been coming to church. You've been hearing the gospel. You've been putting up your hand at the right times and amening and going to the fellowship groups and praying prayers and doing everything you're supposed to do. But you feel this deep-seated imposter syndrome. It's a, it's a heart doubt. Uh, I love that when the Holy Spirit inspired John to write this, he doesn't just say doubt. He doesn't just talk about when you feel condemned. He says when our hearts condemn us. When at the very center of who you are as a being starts to question your profession to be in Christ, that is when the real crisis begins. I believe beyond any doubt that there are in fact people here this morning that have been hanging on by the very thread, by, by the very skin of their teeth, and they're, they're, just, they're just going through the motions and going to church and following the precepts that they know they ought to do, but deep inside them, they, they feel as, as unconvinced as ever. This is the good news of the text. Every Christian that has the Holy Spirit genuinely taking up residence inside them will have these moments where your heart fiercely, fiercely condemns you viciously condemns you and the scripture doesn't say repent the scripture doesn't say try harder do more go to more church services memorize more scripture pray more amen louder it says none of that it says hey God is greater than your heart the hope of our confession in Christ is not that we've conjured up enough heart strength to believe in Jesus but it is that we have laid our hope we have anchored our trust and our anticipation of glory entirely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When our hearts condemn us, when our hearts call us to account, God is greater than our heart and God knows everything. There's a real burden in the heart when your heart begins to condemn you. There's a real experience. Some of you right now are just sitting in your chair and you're, you're saying, all I want to do is just scream out amen to this because this is literally speaking to where I am, but I don't want to be that person because everyone else will know that this is literally speaking to where I am. It is a really hard place to be in, get this if you will, it's a really hard place to be in when not even your own heart believes in your faith. Where even your, the core of your very being says, no one else can see it, but I know you're a sham. 
It's a joke. You're a false. You're a hypocrite. This whole thing is just an act. It's a ploy. It's a pantomime. None of this is legitimate or real or authentic. The call of Scripture is not self-rebuke. It's not do more, try harder, work more energetically and zealously. The truth of Scripture is God is greater than our hearts. Now, this is the reality for all Christians. We are so often discouraged and downtrodden because we are seeking the identity, our satisfaction, our reassurance from what lies within us, from our hearts. Here is, here is the great issue that Christians have, is you get to a certain point in your Christian walk where you are expecting to feel saved. And maybe sometimes you will. But the drastic error of wanting to feel saved is your heart is the most deceitful thing in all the earth who can understand it. The fact that you've been trusting your heart this whole time is no surprise that you are living in a world of utter discouragement. The hope of the gospel is not to look within, it is to look out. If Christians could once for all forget what lies behind, forget self, the gospel tells us that self should be nailed to the cross and pressed toward the upward goal. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater. Here is the good news. God is greater. Our heart cannot undo what the power of God has done. Our heart cannot condemn when the word of God has declared life and grace. Our heart cannot let go when God's own hand holds us. So here it is. This is the rub. Our power to resist, to fall away, is a figment of our imagination. It's not our hold of Christ that saves us. And this whole time you've been, you've been looking at that, that vice grip that you once felt so confident. I grabbed hold of Christ. I'm good. I'm in. I'm saved. I'm, I, I'm healed. I'm, I'm in the kingdom. And then you notice that as, as weeks and months elapse and sin comes and life gets in the way and, and the, Jesus talks about the, the weeds of the world strangling, contaminating. You look at your hand and it's slipping. It's slipping and you fail to realize that your hand is not what's holding you to Christ. Charles Spurgeon tells this really, it's actually quite a comical story of this man one night who was walking his, walking his dog in the pitch black of the night. This is in the 1800s. And he doesn't realize, but he's kind of got off the, the path and there's a, there's a huge precipice right near where the path is. And as he's walking his, uh, his dog and he kind of slips on some loose rocks and he, he falls and he reaches up because he knows there's this immense precipice, like 100, 200, 300 foot drop. And he screams and just, just reaches up and grabs hold. And he miraculously latches onto a branch. And he's hanging there and, and he's screaming out, help, help. And his dog's barking and, and he's, it's the pitch black of the night. No, no one can hear. No one's nearby. No one's any the wiser that he's had this experience. And after 10 minutes elapses, his, his arms are going numb and he's screaming and his voice is getting hoarse and, and there's, there's, just no, there's just no evidence that anyone is hearing or coming to help. The story is that after 10 minutes, he, he starts to pray and plead to God, right? Your, your faith really gets exercised in moments like that. And he's begging God, send someone, send someone, God, help, where are you? And 
10 more minutes elapsed and now he's not praying to, to God, he's, he's cursing God. Right now he's angry at God because I prayed, didn't I? And didn't I give him the offering? And didn't I go to church when all my neighbors were spending their Sundays in, in luxury and enjoyment and frivolity? I went to say, God, where are you? And another 10 minutes elapses and he's just exhausted. He no longer has strength to pray. He no longer has strength to curse God and get angry. He just has the bare strength to just say, God, please help. And then the inevitable happens. As he's holding this branch for dear life and his hands are numb and sweaty and he can't feel his arms and his shoulders feel like they're just about to dislocate and the inevitable. His grip breaks and he falls about an inch and lands on the solid ground. And that's what it's like for us. He actually hadn't gone over that cliff, but just this small ditch long enough that he could hold a branch and feel like he was suspended over this massive precipice. This is the reality of our faith. We go through these seasons, right, where we think we're holding on for dear life and we're praying and we're devout and we're pious and everything's going good. And then we have those seasons, don't put up your hand, where we're, we're cursing God. Where are you, God? And the whole time we fail to realize that we are totally secure. God has never let go of us. God will never let go of us. Our hearts will condemn us. Seasons will come. But God is always stronger than our hearts. Now, part of the challenge is simply this. We don't just require God to save us in our plea that God would forgive us our sins, bring us into the kingdom of Christ, ransom and redeem us. We almost have this unspoken determination that if God is going to save us, he also has to then give us a feeling of being saved. We fail to realize that faith is not that which alters necessarily the emotion of the heart, but it clings to Christ. We Christians are led astray when we depend on our hearts to give us something that only the gospel promises to give. Our hope is never sourced in how we feel about Jesus or the cross or the sacrifice. Our hope is sourced in how God feels about Jesus and the sacrifice. I remember a gospel preacher once said it so succinctly, so perfectly, talking to Christians that are struggling with their, their, their faith and their doubts and their condemnation. If the cross of Jesus Christ was enough to satisfy God, why is it not satisfying you? What is it about the cross when you look at it, you think, oh, it probably can't save me. It's probably not going to atone for me. It's probably not gracious enough and, and merciful enough that it's going to actually atone for my sins. Like you've somehow sinned in some spectacular way that God didn't anticipate or know or provide a remedy for in the cross of Christ. It is the cross that we look to. Not our hearts, not our experience, not our emotion. If you're prone to do this, you wake up, you feel unsaved like everybody and you think, wait, no, I am saved. This is how I know. I know I'm saved because yesterday I had a really strong feeling of being a Christian. If that's, you, if that's you, it is no surprise that you are perpetually plagued with a condemning heart. The scripture never tells us to look inward. This is not a nasal gazing, navel gazing religion. This is a religion that looks outward to, to Christ, a faith that holds fast to the cross of Christ. Faith is simply a conduit, connects us to Christ. Sinclair Ferguson once said it this way brilliantly. He said, the weakest faith gets the same strong Christ as does the strongest faith. 
Your salvation is never dependent on how strong your faith is, but simply that you have faith in Christ at all. If you're trusting God with the smallest spark of faith, that is all God is seeking. Your heart may continue to doubt, even condemn you, but your hope is never in your heart. It is in the omnipotence of God and the glory of the gospel. Let me share another story with you. This comes from Charles Spurgeon's book, All of Grace. If I can just make a side recommendation here this morning, if you've never read Spurgeon's All of Grace, it's literally free online. You can download it right now. Don't do it yet. I know you're eager. Just wait till after the message. But you can grab a copy of that and read that. It's not a big book. It's not foreboding or intimidating. It is a tremendous gospel presentation. And in there, Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century Baptist preacher, was trying to give an illustration of how faith saves. An illustration that I've used countless times, even at this church, I've used countless times, but one that even if you've heard it before, will no doubt still be encouraging to you. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. In fact, I'll just read it from Spurgeon. He said, I've often used the following illustration. Thanks, Spurgeon, you and me both. I must repeat it. He says, I'm told that years ago, a boat was upset above the falls of Niagara. That's the famous Niagara Falls. It's less than an hour drive from where I currently live. Two men were being carried down the current when persons on the shore managed to hear the screams. They floated out a rope to the two men that had their boat entirely broken apart. The rope was seized by both of these men. One of them held fast to it and was drawn slowly but surely to the bank and safety. But the other man, seeing a great log come floating by in the water, he unwisely let go of the rope and clung to the log. For, he thought, it's a bigger thing than the rope, and apparently it's a better thing to cling to. Alas, of course, you know how this story ends. The log with the man on it went down the river over the vast abyss of the falls, and there was no sign of him ever seen again. Here is the reality that Spurgeon wants to draw. Here is, here is the challenge of this story. This is a true story. And you can imagine the, the absolute horror of the people on the shore who heard these men screaming out for help. They managed to throw a rope out to them. Both men grabbed the rope. They're both being pulled into shore. And then one of the guys sees this big tree trunk bobbing about in the, in the white water. And he looks at the tree trunk. And you know what he thinks? Well, that's bigger than the rope. Well, tree trunks are stronger than rope. It seems to float better than the rope. It seems to be safer and more sturdier and more bigger and more imposing than the rope. In fact, the tree trunk kind of looks, kind of looks like the boat we were in and he let go of the rope and latched onto the trunk. And because he did that, the man died. A tragic story of wasteless hum, uh, wasteful human loss because in a moment of crisis and panic, he failed to realize that the rope that saves men who are about to go over Niagara Falls doesn't save them because the rope is powerful or strong or formidable or imposing. The rope saves because it is connected to the shore. This is, this is the rub of this and all gospel promise, that the strength of your hope in Christ is not because your faith is big enough or strong enough or imposing or sturdy, but it's merely that your faith connects you with Christ. And the smallest, as we heard Ferguson say, the smallest, weakest faith gets the same strong savior as the most formidable and imposing faith. This is the assurance of our salvation. 
That if we have confessed Christ with our mouth and believed in our heart that God rose him from the grave, if we look to the cross and we know it is a sacrifice sufficient to atone for all my sins, then we're saved. We're saved. Not about whether we feel saved. No one should ever assess whether you feel saved. That is the most ludicrous gospel action of all. But we are saved because as the verse promises us, God is stronger than our hearts. So what then? Are we supposed to sit idly by in a mental war of conflicting desires? Some of you have done this. To the absolute detriment of your confidence and your hope, you've sat there and you've waited to feel strong enough, good enough, savable enough. This is not what the New Testament calls us to do. It tells us to look to Christ and then it commands us that our faith is a doing faith. Our faith is an active faith. We read this a few moments ago in the London Baptist Confession. Here's the rub. Here's the thrust. Here is the essence of this. The devil wins a cheap victory over Christians, not by destroying them outright, but by luring them into this distraction. And this is almost always achieved when he convinces us that the Christian faith is a contemplative faith. Just contemplate. Just sit by. Just meditate on. Just feel. Just Do you feel saved? I don't feel saved. Keep feeling. Eventually you'll feel it. This is not the Christian faith. This is Eastern mysticism. Yes, it's not the Christian faith. Let me give you some New Testament imperatives how the new Christian faith is described. Ready? Like this. Ask, seek, knock, run, set aside, walk by faith, pursue, mortify, sow, reap, look to Jesus, fight, wage warfare, wrestle, compete, exercise, build, pursue, persevere, endure, etc. At what point in your New Testament did you feel like you were called to sit on the sideline, look inward at your belly button and wonder if you feel safe? At no point. Oh, we have strayed very far from New Testament Christianity when it looks more like Eastern mysticism and less like the Christianity of Jesus' apostles. John just says it almost flippantly. Look at our text this morning. John, John says it almost flippantly. Your heart is going to go through seasons where it condemns you. Now, John's not trying to say that's not a tumultuous experience. He's not trying to downplay the frustration of that or the disappointment of that. He's just saying it doesn't matter because your heart is not as strong as God and your heart doesn't save you. God does. Get up. Get busy. There's a kingdom to advance. That's the essence of New Testament Christianity. If you get lured into this contemplative Christianity, repent and run from it. It has zero Zero relationship with the Christianity that is established by Christ and the words of the New Testament. There is comparatively very little emphasis in the New Testament on meditate and stew and think and analyze and observe and concentrate. Now, don't misunderstand me. Someone will find a verse or a reference or a a loose reference somewhere. Don't use my words to create a false dichotomy. But the overwhelming emphasis of New Testament faith is a doing faith, it's an active faith, it's a working faith, it's a faith that ignores the inward whims of a broken heart and serves and calls out to Christ as the saviour of all. This is the nature of New Testament Christianity. Therefore the call upon all of us is to go and do, 
It's to go and do. Go and do likewise. Go and make disciples. Go and serve. Spend and be spent in the cause of Christ and his mission. By this we know, 1 John 3.19, by this we know that we are of the truth and we reassure our hearts before him. This is the balance put in right order. It's not us who sit at the tail end and receive the dictates from our fallen heart. It is us that's meant to reassure our hearts that our hope is not in a feeling, in an emotion, in an emotional reaction. Our hope is in Christ. The promise of the text, we'll close on this here this morning. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. He knows that we're reprobate, sinful. We are wretched. We are depraved. He knows that. He came to save those who are lost. He came to bring grace to those that are found graceless. He came to bring forgiveness to those that have corrupted themselves by sin. He knows everything. And in Jesus Christ, he has given provision for our forgiveness, our security, and our salvation. Would you bow your head and close your eyes right across this place this morning? I want to pray God's grace and blessing upon us. As so many of us have had these seasons of darkness and frustration and doubt, but God knows, God understands. God wants us to take our focus off of ourselves and our heart and to look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this chance this morning to sit under the encouragement of your word, to feel the, 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 the convicting spirit in your word that we have been a little too self-absorbed, Lord God. We, we, we have at times been, been wrapped up in ourselves and we've made a very small package indeed. We have followed our hearts. We've drunk deeply of the advice and the culture of the world around us and we've failed to understand what you've communicated in the scripture. We've sat by, Lord God, and we've waited for you to give us a feeling, an emotional response, an attitude, and we failed to realize that the Christian faith is an active, doing, working, achieving, advancing Christian faith. Help us, Lord God, to repent of being so self-intoxicated, of, of knowing that our hearts are going to condemn us at times. It's fine. God is greater than our hearts. Our hearts don't save us. God does. Our trust is in Christ. His finished work, his sin-free life, his atoning substitutionary death, his triumphant resurrection. And God, you have seen your son Jesus and been satisfied in the offering of his soul. And now we, by faith, that very small, even weak cord that connects us with Christ, we are co-heirs with him. We are sons and daughters of the kingdom. We are adopted into this family. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It removes all boasting. God, help us to, to set our eyes on Christ, to set our focus and our attention on Christ, and to put our faith to work for his glory, for his cause. We ask all this in his name. Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.